we're going to be talking about shalom or peace. Shalom is the, the Hebrew word for peace. It's a greeting that Jewish people still to this day greet one another with. Shalom. And it means peace. God's peace be with you. It's this idea of not just like a peace, but it's a fundamental well, a peace of welfare and have prosperity and, and wholeness. There's, there's a complete absence of hostility is what this idea of shalom captures. And um, this might be a unique way of getting to, to my point this morning, but I, my sense of humor, what, what I like to do is, like my wife speaks sarcasm. I don't, right? But she does. She, she loves to have her express her humor. People are laughing that knows Tara. I can see smiles on faces, right? She expresses her humor in sarcasm. I express my humor. I love puns, right? I just love to do puns and try to find puns in every little thing. And everybody knows what puns are, right? It's a play on words. Um, a word that has a meaning could have a double meaning depending on the context in which you say it. And like a pun, uh, uh, I looked up 101 worst puns. So here's, here's a couple for you. Geology rocks, but geography is where it's all at. Right. Or what is Forrest Gump's email password? One Forrest One. Right? So those are puns. And that's how I express my humor and, and interact with people. And to get to this point of shalom, I had a, a really good friend of mine in my home church in Utah, Lehigh, Utah. His name was Shalom. And so like the second time I encountered him, I said, Shalom, Shalom. Right? Because that's how people greeted him. And he looked at me, and I'm like, you know what your name means, right? He's like, yeah, but most people don't. And so from that point on, I, every time I saw him, shalom, shalom, right? Because I thought that was funny. And for the first year, you know, I'm sure he was okay with it. But, you know, five years into it, he's like, all right, dude, you got to give it up, right? <laughs> shalom, shalom. But this idea of peace, God's intention for us is to have peace and it's one of those things that we walk in conflict with because we are in this world that's broken and has suffering the consequences of sin. We talked about last week, not only the sin in creation, right, the, the natural evil, but the sin found in our own hearts. This idea of disunity and um, no peace to be found is, is something that we face, are faced with and battle with every day. But, but God's intention for us is to have this idea of shalom. He desires for us to have peace, to have no have absence of hostility. Have he desires to have us in this state of good welfare and, and prosperity and wholeness, with, with not only within ourselves but within our family units and with one another. You can see it. This idea, this theme of peace, God's desire for peace, throughout the Old and New Testament. God anointed Aaron, Moses' brother, to, to give gave him the Aaronic priesthood, him and his sons. Right? They were to be the intermediaries between God, a holy God, and a sinful people. And they the temple was built on the tabernacle. And if you want to know more about that, I have we have like three sermons on God's dwelling place, right? The tabernacle, the temple, and ultimately the New Testament temple, which is the heart of God's people. But in the Old Testament, saying when when God anointed Aaron to be uh, the priest, the, the Aaronic priesthood was given to him. And through the word of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Moses and said this in Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 26. 
Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you are to bless the Israelites. So we see God saying, this is my intention for my people. And this is how I'm, I want you, Aaron, and your sons, through the Aaronic priesthood, to bless my people, to intermediate for them. You should say to them, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. God desires for his people to have peace in their hearts and in their families and in their communities. But we know because of the consequences of the fall, that's not the reality that we live in. But yet we have that promise that God is working in his creation. God is going to fulfill at one point in the human history that is to come. Right, All will be taken care of and we will finally, the, the shalom that was in the Garden of Eden before the fall will be reestablished. That is the hope that we have. And we know that God has used human history to reveal how he is going to do that. Through the Messiah. Isaiah, Isaiah 9.6 is a verse that we covered last week. But this is a prophecy of Jesus, the Messiah coming. 750 years before Jesus even arrives on the scene, the word of the Lord is spoken through Isaiah, and he says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and the Prince of Peace. Do you see God's desire for us to have peace? It's throughout Scripture. And we know through the New Testament, Paul tells us in um, many different of his many different letters, but in, specifically in Romans, right? He shows and demonstrates to us that it doesn't matter what heritage, what background you're from, that it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Gentile, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody in this earth that can earn and do enough good and righteousness to, to earn favor with a holy and just God because we all fall short. God, or Paul uses the first three chapters of Romans to, to demonstrate that to us. And the conclusion is, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in that, we find brokenness, right? Even in Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, Adam and Eve are hiding from God. They've, they've done their first um, act of human religion by trying to cover themselves with leaves. Trying to cover their shame through their works and God asked them what, what, what happened, and right, Adam blames Eve, and right, ultimately, God, Adam blames God. The first uh, the break of a perfect relationship is demonstrated in the first few chapters of Genesis after the fall. So, this idea of peace is something that God desires for us, but yet we often lack. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But there's good news. Verse 24. They are justified. In the eyes of a holy God, a justification is a proclamation of, of uh, innocence. They are justified. Not by becoming a, a Baptist. Not by doing a bunch of rules and regulations. And not trying to earn your, your favor with God by showing God how good you can be. 
that you're justified, declared righteous, you're reconciled to God. This is the good news for all of humanity. We are justified freely by His grace, His unmerited favor, His unmerited love. God loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son to die for us, to live the law perfectly. It's something that we could not do ever do because we are in sin. And then He went to the cross and took the punishment of sin upon Himself. God's wrath and judgment was poured out upon Jesus. So God remains holy and just because God justly punished Jesus. Not for His sin, but for ours. And this idea of this salvation that is found, that is a free salvation, that is an act of a love gift by our God to us is found by trusting and believing in Christ's accomplished work alone and abandoning all hope in anything else other than what Christ has done. And in that, we are justified, declared righteous, freely by His grace. And how do we receive this grace? Through the redemption. Jesus purchased us for all those who would believe through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That is the good news. And that is the means in which God has set out in His creation to restore shalom. To give us peace. He goes on in Romans chapter 5 after He's demonstrated that this salvation is only by faith and it's not by righteousness it's, or keeping our own self-righteousness. It's not by keeping the law. It is this idea of salvation and reconciliation through faith. And he says this, Therefore, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul does, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, faith means believing and trusting in what Jesus has done. done. Because we've been justified by faith, we have what? peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before Christ, we were enemies with God because we were sinners. We were rebellious in our hearts against Him. But through Jesus, as the Gospel is proclaimed, every person that hears the sound of the good message and believes and trusts in that are reconciled to God. And now we have peace with God. The hostility, the enmity that we had with God prior to encountering Jesus has been taken care of. We're no longer at war with the holy and just God because God has made a way. We are at peace with Him. We have peace with God through what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. This peace that God desires for us is found in Jesus. It's found in the good news of Jesus. We were out in the community yesterday gift wrapping, serving our community, doing a a good service work. Those are all true, but all of us have, have a greater desire to be able to make relationships with people so that we can... We can enter into a a relationship of trust and be able to give them the good news of Jesus because we desire everyone to know about him and the wonderful gift he's given us in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 2, we have also obtained access through Jesus by faith into this grace, this grace of God, this unmerited love. You want that? You don't earn it? It's through Christ. 
It's through believing and trusting in Him. We have access through Him by faith into this grace in which we stand. We stand and are lavished. God's grace is lavished and poured out upon us. Paul writes in Ephesians that all of eternity will be God's demonstration of the, the lavish pouring out of God's grace upon us. Because every day of every uh, into eternity will be a day that we are enjoying eternal reconciliation and peace with God through what Christ has done. And we boast, not in ourselves, but we boast in the hope the hope that we spoke of last yesterday, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That what God has promised, that all who will believe will be saved and reconciled to God and will be given an eternal life. That is what we hope in. His promises. And that is where we can find our peace even in the midst of our trials and tribulations of this world. Because God has not left us alone. He's not left us alone to endure the trials and, and things that we have in this life by ourselves. He has given us the Spirit of God who indwells us, who desires to empower us and give us the fruit of the Spirit produced in our lives, as we'll see. I'm getting ahead of myself here. This peace, this shalom, is otherworldly. It can only be through Jesus. While Jesus was on earth, he did the, uh, went into the upper room and he's speaking to his disciples. He's on the eve of him going to the cross and he, he, he's trying to comfort them because he knows they're gonna, their lives are going to be turned upside down in just a few hours. And he's trying to comfort them and he tells them and in reality the Spirit of God through his preserved word comforts us in these words. I've spoken these things to you while I remain with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. The third person of the triune God is a promise given to us by Jesus that if we accept and trust in Jesus that the Spirit of God will indwell our hearts, that we are now the temple of God. And He desires to do a work in us. But He goes on, what is Jesus' intention to a people, to his disciples, and ultimately to those who trust and believe in him? He knows that their lives will still be ridden with trials and evil and struggles and family strife and personal strife and strife in the world just in general. God's desire for his people is this peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives it. This peace is not of this world. This peace is otherworldly. This peace is supernatural. This peace can only be given to you through the power of the Spirit. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. It's your Savior telling us we are not to be troubled or fearful because we are His. We're not to fear man. We're to fear the one who has power over life and death. 
Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful, he says. This gift of the Holy Spirit is a gift as we learn to walk and yield to the Spirit of God in our lives. The Spirit begins to begin to produce fruit in our lives. And this fruit looks like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and there it is, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. This is a fruit that the Spirit puts in our lives as we yield to Him and walk with Him. And it's peace, this peace that's otherworldly and supernatural isn't a peace that's dependent upon our trials and circumstances of this world. I'm sure many of you have a testimony of a time where God has brought you to the end of yourselves and you've done everything wrong and you have nothing but Him. And maybe you're just lying on your bed in the fetal position going, God, I don't know what to do. And then that, all of a sudden that, that peace just comes. Supernatural peace. It's a beautiful thing. To be in the midst of a trial but yet have Peace. Love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It goes on. Gentleness and self-control. The law is not against such these such things. So this idea of peace, this confident expectation of God's peace is not only the peace and the hope of the promises that is to come, but it's something that is to be pursued by us who follow after Jesus because God's given us the Spirit of God to, to produce this fruit in our lives. So what does that look like? Well, in the church, because of the Spirit of God, peace is a common bond for church unity. All of us who are in Christ Jesus, this idea of peace with God is a common bond that we hold because we have the same two things, the same Spirit of God that dwells within our hearts, but also the peace with God, right? Paul says in Romans chapter 5, therefore we have peace with God. Those are the two common bonds that we have together, the same God dwells within our hearts and then this same understanding that we have peace with God and therefore we can have peace with one another. It's the common bond for church unity. With all humility, Paul says, and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. This is what he's asking the church to pursue. This is what the Spirit of God is asking us to pursue in 2021 in Falls Baptist Church. Making every effort to keep, what? The unity of the Spirit. We're to make every effort to keep unity within us because we have the same Spirit of God within us through the bond of peace. We're bonded together by peace with God and therefore God has enabled us to pursue His original intention for mankind, peace with God and peace with one another. What does that look like individually? This is a passage of Scripture that it's often memorized. Verse 7 is, <clears throat> but we often forget and neglect to think about what Paul says before. This idea of this peace that passes all understanding. Individually, how the Spirit produces this fruit in, his, in our life is as we learn to walk with, with God in our lives, as we learn to yield things to Him. It doesn't come automatically. I wish it did. But peace comes, this supernatural peace comes as we walk with the Lord, as our knowledge of the Lord increases and our wisdom of the Lord increases because we've taken 
what God has done in our lives and the promises He's given us and we prove them out. Right? Our, the object of sanctification, the process of the Spirit making us more like Jesus is a gradual walk, step by step. Sometimes two steps forward and one step back or vice versa, one step forward and two steps back. But the Spirit of God has promised us in Philippians chapter 2 that he who began a good work in you will complete it. And this idea of walking and this fruit of the, the Spirit that we all, right? We read that list. All of us, I would hope, would want that more, ever more increasing in our hearts and in our lives. It's as we walk with the Lord. Paul says in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Right? Because we have peace with God. No matter what happens here on this earth, we're God's. We're Christ. We're in Christ. You can't threaten me with heaven. <laughs> right? That's the promise given to us. No matter what we're encountering, we, ha- we can rejoice if you're in Christ Jesus. You can rejoice, and if you're not, I pray today is the day that you'd call out to Him. That you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and believe and trust in Christ's accomplished work and these promises will be yours as well. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Verse 5, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. God is near. He's not some distant deity. He's spun this place up and this universe up and just step back and watch it all fall apart. He's working and acting in His creation through us. God dwells within the hearts of the believer. God is near. Verse 6, don't worry about anything. There it is again. As Jesus said in John 14, don't be fearful about anything. But instead, in everything through prayer, and petition and thanksgiving presents your request to God. God. God wants your burdens. That's what it means to walk with God. Just can't handle it. Here you go. Right? That's such a freeing moment. When you realize you've been trying to carry these burdens in your heart and in your mind, and you say, you know what, God? The Scriptures declare I'm supposed to give everything to you, so here you are. But what you're really doing in that moment is yielding to the Spirit. Giving Him the control in your life. Walking in fear of God, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. As we do these things, verse 7, And then the peace of God, the shalom, the supernatural peace that Jesus desires for His bride, this peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God desires for us to have peace. And I'm the last one that should be up here telling you how great God's peace is because I have it all the time because I'd be lying. That's what God's desire is for me. And He's given me an opportunity to walk with him, to yield to the Spirit and allow this, this reality and this truth be played out in my heart. And in so doing, right, as my, I walk in my peace with God and peace with one another, right, 
hopefully the fruit of the Spirit and, and the Jesus will shine a little bit brighter for me next year. So that's what peace looks like for us. But ultimately, we have an eager and confident expectation of the peace that is to come, the arrival of perfect shalom that was found in the garden before the fall is the promise revealed to us in Revelation 21. This Christmas season, as we place our hope in the promises of God and what He's done in the past and have an eager expectation of what He's going to do in the future, this is the future for all who have trusted in Christ. We know the end of the story. Revelation 21, verses 1-5. through John looks up and has this vision and I saw a new, a new heaven and a, and a new earth. And the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the, the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They will be His peoples. And God Himself will be with them and will be their God. There's coming a time when shalom will be restored. Perfect shalom. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because their previous things, the previous things have passed away. And here we are. Why we have this eager expectation, this confident expectation that what God has promised will be fulfilled, because He says it. And the one seated on the throne, who's the one seated on the throne? Our Lord and Savior. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, says this, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, because, why? These words are faithful and true. We have a confident expectation, church, that the reality in Revelation 21 will be our reality. One day, it's no longer going to be a faith. It'll be a reality we experience. And that is what we hope in. And that is where we find our peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for the wonderful gift of salvation you've given us in Christ. We're so grateful for this opportunity to be reminded of the great price that you paid. Lord, it's free for us. It's a gracious gift, but you paid so much. And we're so grateful, God, that we can be reconciled to you. We're so grateful, God, that we can have this knowledge of knowing that what you promised, you're faithful to 